chapter three, part two. Okay, so this was what I really wanted to get into on this chapter was the the brownie example resonated with a lot of people. Um, if you haven't read the book, which I assume you've all have because you wouldn't be listening to this otherwise. But the brownie example talks about, uh, I, I would hear from parents, I, I just can't understand what they're going through. Like my kid is on drugs. I've never done drugs. I can't understand what they're going through. I just can't imagine what would make them do something like that. So I tried to use an example that I thought pretty much everybody would try to relate to, brownies. Now I know not everyone in the world has eaten a brownie, but most of us have, and most of us like them. I certainly do. And uh, the example that I gave was one of a person trying brownies, loving them, and then getting addicted to the brownies to the point where they're willing to lie, steal, cheat, sell their body for these brownies because they're so delicious. In fact, living with the brownie baker, which would be like living with a drug dealer, right? In order to have access to them, to be closer to the source of it. And this is very common for people who become addicted to drugs. They find themselves pushing away from everyone they love and go becoming closer and closer to the source of the drugs. What ends up happening for many of them is that they feel it started fun at first and then they start to feel a little bit bad. So they kind of isolate from their families. They don't want anyone to know what they're doing. They start to fall deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole and they start to become ashamed. They start to do things they would not normally do. They were raised better to not lie, to be honest, to not, you know, to respect your body, to respect yourself, all these different kinds of things. And as they break each one of those moral barriers that they never intended to break when they were young, and now they find themselves doing these things, they feel this shame. They feel this guilt. Well, what's the best way to get rid of that shame and guilt is to do more drugs that will numb you or distract you from the guilt that you feel. And then you become trapped because if you think about coming off of everything, then not only may you have a physical withdrawal, which would be painful and you wouldn't want to go through, make you very sick. It would be having to deal with and confront all of that shame and guilt that's going to hit you in the face as soon as your feelings come back on and your emotions come back to life. So they keep themselves trapped. They would rather continue numbing themselves and essentially slowly killing themselves than come to grips of reality with what it is that they've done. And that's sad, but that's how addiction works. People will do anything when their brain is in that fight or flight mode which the drugs will do to them. Again, I'm not a doctor. Don't quote me. I'm just using sort of common sense language here. When they're hooked and they're addicted, their body is screaming at them. They're chemically, they're chemically addicted to the drug. Their body is screaming that it wants it or it's going to die. So how do you think you would feel in that circumstance? You're going to convince people that you know, that you care about you, 
that you just need some money for this other thing. You know, I don't know, you're going back to school or your car broke down and you have to get to work. So you need that extra $200, grandma, can you just loan it to me? They're, they're not assuming you're going to use that on drugs. They want to believe you. Even if they are suspicious, they want to believe you. They want to help you. They're like, well, well, maybe they really do need, I don't want them to lose their job, right? And only $200, it could keep them employed. And they can be so convincing when they're under these substances because people are very versatile. People can, people are capable of great things uh, and manipulation and all these different kinds of things. And when they're put to the test, uh, they perform. It's, it's very interesting that what can happen and people even say who go through treatment, they say, wow, if I just put the amount of energy that I put into trying to score drugs into a job or building a business or my relationships with my kids or whatever, if I put that kind of effort and energy into a positive thing, I could be capable of, of anything. And they're right because their brain has told them that they have gone through a process where they did things that they never imagined they could pull off. Imagine waking up in the morning with nothing, not a penny to your name, and you've got to figure out somehow how to get $100 that day so you can feed your drug habit. You And it could be from stealing from somebody, from tricking them, from manipulating them, from all these different kinds of things, or doing doing some sort of a, a an odd job to get it done in a way where you, you know you can continue to to do that. Wow, I mean that that's takes some creativity and ingenuity and thinking on your feet. And oh, look at that guy there from you know from another out of town. Uh, I, I could tell him where to park his car, and and then my buddy over there will. Uh, notice, you know, grab his stereo while I'm talking to him. You know, there's all these different things that they come up with on the fly because their brain is working a hundred miles an hour. You've got to get this or you're going to die. It's really fascinating if you think about it, but it's also sad because they could be putting those skills to positive use. And, and a lot of times when people get out of rehab, they are very capable people. They're, they're good at, um, they can also be good at sales, right? Because sales is about convincing people of doing something. And, and oftentimes I've seen people go into sales and, and they do well at it and they feel so much better because they're selling something meaningful to people, right? They're selling them, uh, well, boy, I don't know, a gym membership or they're selling them something that they, that they could use and actually is going to help their lives, not just rob them. Uh, and anyway, the point is, is that drugs change a person and they bring out everything they have as far as their potentials to accomplish the task. And the good news about that is when they turn around, they can use those things for good. So you can remind them of that if they are feeling this shame and guilt and all those things. A good, a good thing to say could be, well, think about what you could do if you use those same energies for good. I want to go into a little bit about the fentanyl epidemic, about how it's essentially something that is, it's an opioid, right? So it's part of the opioid crisis, but the opioid crisis kind of started with the medical industry. We've, we've pretty much heard the story by now where they were giving out 
Oxycontin for, you know, pills. These are opioid pills to, you know, if you, if you were at the dentist and you had your tooth pulled, you would get a hundred of these pills, right? Or you, if you had a broken arm, you went to the hospital or something like that, you'd get tons and tons of it because the doctors were told they were not addictive yet. They were addictive. And the people that, that created this have been taken to court and sued and all these kinds of things, but the damage has been done. Uh, a lot of, a whole generation of, of people became addicted to opioids. So that is one aspect of it. Fentanyl at this point, from what I see, and again, you can't quote me, put a gun to my head. This is my, this is my opinion. Tons of fentanyl is coming across the border into this country, mostly from China through Mexico. So it is being created there and shipped through Mexico, brought through by drug dealers, mules, whatever you want to call them, who bring it into the country. And our young people are being essentially attacked through chemical warfare. This is not just oh, we're just feeding a need. These kids want to party, so we're going to give them the drugs so that they can party. These are dead. The fentanyl is deadly, deadly, deadly. I did an infomercial recently, and we held up a picture in the infomercial. I want you to imagine a pencil, that a pencil has just been sharpened. So you have the lead and the wood. If you took fentanyl, and put it on the lead of a pencil. You had enough to sort of cover the lead of a pencil with this powder. That is a fatal dose of fentanyl. If you think about that, that just blows my mind still now to think about. You know, a, practically a pinhead would, could, be, could be lethal. So what does that mean? That means this can be used as a weapon. This can be used, you can sprinkle it on pot. You can put it in cocaine or ecstasy or any, any kind of substance that someone might buy. I mean, could you imagine going and getting a bag of weed when you're 19 or 22 years old or something like that, thinking you're just going to smoke a joint and you die from fentanyl overdose because someone put it in there. That is crazy. And before you say, well, they shouldn't have been getting a joint, that's bad. They were doing drugs. Okay. I get it. Mr. High and mighty moral high ground. You're right. That is true. If they didn't do it, they would not have had that experience. However, realistically, I don't know how you were when you were 18, 19 years old, 20, 21 years old, but I made a bunch of mistakes. I did stupid things. You know, that's sort of what those young teenage and young adult years are is, is pushing boundaries, trying new things, exploring, becoming independent, breaking away from your parents, learning how to do things for yourself. Well, you know, we all made mistakes. We all did dumb stuff. And, but I have not seen until recently the deadly effects of people who were not trying to get fentanyl or overdose. Some do, some do choose to use fentanyl for recreational reasons as, as they would use heroin or Oxycontin or something like that. But many, many young people are dying because they thought they were getting a joint or they thought they were getting 
of cocaine and they were going to do a little bit of that. And yeah, it's bad, but it didn't seem deadly. So I would urge you guys as parents, if you have parents of young ones, and I would start early, I would make sure you're, you're talking to your kids at 10 years old. And I know you might think 10, wow, that's so young. They're still innocent at that point. Yeah, that's when you have to talk to them because they're going to be exposed to this stuff. They may already be exposed to it at 10 years old with the internet and everything like that. You have no idea really what's going on there. So you tell them early and young, you are going to be exposed to this. Not you may, if you're in the wrong crowd, you will be exposed to drugs at some point in your life. You need to understand these things. You need to understand. And if you're, and if you're a person who, who is a proponent of marijuana and you say, well, you know, you should get it from a, uh, whatever, a medicinal, um, a medicinal marijuana place where they, uh, dispensary where they dispense it. And you, you smoke weed and you tell your kids that if you're going to smoke weed, then you need to buy it from the dispensary because at least you know where it's coming from. You know, it's interesting that I might agree with you as someone who's in the drug addiction field, but I get it. Like, you know, if my kid was smoking weed, I would rather have them get it from a place where I knew they weren't going to die. And everybody, every parent is going to have their own spin on how they want to parent. They may tell their kids they, they must never smoke marijuana their entire life or, you know, they'll go to hell. I, I don't, I don't know. Everybody has their own opinions and I'm not telling anybody how to parent other than I just want you to be aware that if you think it's no big deal that your kid is smoking weed because so did you, that's fine. The weed is much stronger than when you were young, but also there could be things that is la it's laced with. And I would hate for anyone's kid to die because they thought they were getting a joint from Bob on the corner who is selling weed and they end up dead. There's been stories about this in the news about children ODing and dying from, from drugs that were laced with fentanyl. I believe we are under attack personally. I think that our country is personally being purposefully militarily undermined and that young people are being, are the targets of these attacks to make our country weaker and easier to invade. You can call me crazy. You can call me a conspiracy theorist. You can call me whatever you want. I just look at what's happening. I have my own opinion based on the evidence I see because I just can't understand how it would be happening any other way. I understand drug cartels are trying to make money, all these kinds of things, but this seems different to me. And again, I have 25 years of kind of looking at this stuff. This seems different. This seems intentional to get as many young people hooked or dead as possible. That's a scary thought. And I hope I'm wrong about that, but whether I'm wrong or I'm right about my opinion really doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that you need to protect your loved ones and make sure they're aware that this is happening and that such a small amount of fentanyl can be deadly. So that is my message to everybody. I wanna make sure that you understand that's why I'm talking about this. And, and one other thing that is, that kind of baffles me and makes me sad is that some other countries don't have drug problems the way that we do. You realize like there are no, like in, in Singapore or China, there's not really a, a bunch of people that are addicted to drugs. They, they just, they just take a very 
different approach at it. And I understand that those countries are not known for their human rights and, and things like that. And I'm not trying to say one way or another is right or wrong. Well, certainly, you know, I'm a proponent of human rights. But what I'm saying is, is that there could be better, more things done about it. I think that we can do better as a country to protect our young people who are going to make mistakes, who are going to take risks, who are going to do things that they know are, are wrong and are bad. And I would rather they, I would rather they not be in the dead. That's my message for this trip.